New information seems to emerge every day showing the profound weakness of the capitalist economy as the coronavirus pandemic continues to rage. Meanwhile, the new Biden administration is showing signs of backpedaling on their already insufficient stimulus proposal as it seeks to forge unity with the Republicans and the right wing. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for our regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. We talk about the economy, and how it could be reconstituted on a new basis so that the needs of people and the planet come before profit. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The System is the Sickness When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from the Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com and Wolf is spelled W-O-L-F-F, so it's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. There's four big stories we want to cover. Uh, One is we're looking at uh, a, a survey that says that the loss of jobs globally from COVID is four times greater than the 2009 financial crisis. We want to talk about that. We also want to talk about the so-called bipartisan group of senators uh, who are pushing back on Biden's COVID relief package. Again, when we talk about checks and balances, I think the check in the U.S. Senate is always always to check anything good. We'll also talk about why inflation could be on the way back and also the issue and the importance of the issue of rising corporate debt. But let's just get started with the staggering numbers. Uh, COVID costs four times more job loss than the 2009 financial crisis. There's there's some, maybe people think, uh, Professor Wolf, that since it's COVID related, when, when the COVID epidemic or pandemic is under control, then these jobs will come back. But uh, what do you think? Well, I think what we're facing is two different things happening at the same time, and that is leading all kinds of people to collapse them into one thing, but they shouldn't. One thing is a public health catastrophe, uh, the COVID disaster for which U.S. capitalism was unprepared and to which U.S. capitalism has been unable to respond with a coherent program, neither to contain the virus from spreading nor now to manage a rational vaccination program. 
the spectacle of one of the richest countries in the world, the U.S., so incapacitated, so incompetent when compared to dozens of other countries with fewer resources, much poorer, to manage this public health problem is teaching a lesson to the whole world that I'll come back to later because it's having uh, severe effects on the role of the United States in the world. The second event, separate from the public health disaster, is an economic crash. Capitalism has such crashes every four to seven years on average. It has for centuries all over the world, including the United States. Uh, if it's a four to seven year average, and if the last one was the Great Recession of 2008 and nine, then by 2020, we were already overdue beyond the four to seven year range. And that, when you go that long, it's usually a bigger crash that you experience. So we have a capitalist crash and a public health disaster. And we have them in the same country at the same time. We've never had that before. The Great Depression of the 1930s had no public health disaster. The Spanish flu of 1918 didn't accompany an economic crash of capitalism. And so we really have no precedent for having these two together. But it is incorrect, basically, to call it a COVID crisis because we would have had a crisis anyway. The financial press in 2018 and 19 in the United States, Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times or any of these publications, we're speculating. We all know that we're due for a crisis. You don't have to be a radical or a leftist to see that. The, the conventional uh, financial press was full of it. And all that the COVID did was function as a trigger, much as the collapse of uh, subprime mortgages back in 2008 was a trigger. It wasn't the cause. It wasn't the reason it shouldn't have been given. Uh, that crash shouldn't have been given that name. Uh, but the, it's, of course, very comforting to people who like capitalism to give the name of the crash of capitalism some external event so they don't have to confront that the system has done this every four to seven years for three centuries. So for me, what we're seeing is the extreme problems of a bad crash coincidentally happening um, with a public health disaster. But the failure of the capitalist system we live in, knowing that we have had terrible viruses in the past, knowing that we have economic crashes every four to seven years, didn't do anything to prepare us to have in place the, st the steps and measures to minimize all of this. That's the really horrible story of failure uh, that we're facing now. Richard, one of the things that always strikes me when I talk about these issues with people is that there's no sense of uh, extreme anger that the economy goes into a cyclical uh, bust period, that there's a recession. It's almost as if God created, uh, God created the planet Earth and God created humans and God created recessions. And that's why we have recessions. There's something divine, some some divine mandate. And it's, uh, in other words, it's just kind of built into the assumption of modern day 
people who live in capitalist societies that, of course, there's going to be a recession. As if, of course, every four years, uh, millions of people have to get laid off. Of course, every four years, small businesses will get wiped out. Of course, uh, four year, every three or four or seven or 10 years, whatever this cycle happens to be, of course, all of these terrible things are going to happen. Uh, what do you expect? Um, is there a different way, a different road? I mean, as socialists, uh, one of our, and certainly for me as a socialist, one of the, the points that I think is important to make is that this is not divinely mandated. These are human-made crises. This is a system-driven crisis, and it's not the only system available to us. Yeah, I think there's a number of ways to get at this. Um, capitalism is rather unique. Um, slavery does not, as an economic system, does not display these kinds of cycles. Neither did feudalism, the two major systems before capitalism. Uh, even if you think that capitalism has to have these things, it's crystal clear that different countries manage them, uh, different capitalisms more or less. And I think, you know, it would be safe to say, for example, that uh, the People's Republic of China uh, has been able to better manage this cycle and the virus than the United States, uh, just as New Zealand has, just as you know, many other societies with fewer resources have. Uh, it is a man-made event. One of the other things that goes with capitalism that also can get that fatalistic response, the response of resignation that you, that you illustrated there, um, is inequality. Because look at the inequality we have. Uh, Jeffrey Bezos has $200 billion, and 30 million Americans are currently listed as food insecure. I mean, that level of inequality leads some people to, to resign, to kind of naturalize it, as if there's something intrinsic to the human community that some people have to be uh, offensively rich and others desperately poor, that the system has to crash every four to seven years, etc., etc. I think that the socialist critique has always been across all the different kinds of socialism, uh, different interpretations of socialism that have existed in the world, have, they have always had in common a notion that the inequalities bred by capitalism and the instability, these cyclical ups and downs, those are reasons why one ought to question and challenge capitalism to, in order to go to a different economic system uh, in the hope and in the expectation that that system would have uh, freedom from these kinds of instabilities and freedom from that kind of inequality that capitalism has so relentlessly reproduced and not, never more so than right now. Richard, one of the um, one of the arguments for capitalism is that, and these come from the apologists of capitalism, and there are many arguments, but one of them has to do with uh, how capitalism, because it rewards risk and risk taking, it rewards uh, people who work hard, and it doesn't reward people who don't work hard. It become it it it's kind of a lash. Uh, one hand, it, it promises 
a torment and poverty uh, for the lazy, for those who are unproductive, and great riches for uh, those who, quote, apply themselves. Now, aside from the fact that all of that is bogus and you can make a, you know, a very convincing argument about why the, the people who work hardest in society are the people who, who are paid the least. The people who are less likely to be rich are the ones who actually are working constantly, two, three jobs and working hard jobs. Um, all of that can be you know, easily sort of disproven. But one of the arguments is that in the, in the sort of drive to get rich, the capitalists produce commodities that are wanted by the public, otherwise they won't be purchased. They get cheaper commodities because otherwise they won't be purchased if they're too expensive. And so even though it's an unfair, unjust system, uh, the reward is we get more commodities, cheaper commodities, et cetera. And thus it's kind of an efficient system, unequal but efficient. But if you think about recessions as being part of the, the business cycle in every three or four or seven or 10 years, millions or tens of millions of people lose their job and then are forced into idleness. I mean, all of that lost productivity by the people who are forced into unemployment, not because they want to be unemployed, but they can't find work. I mean, the obvious compensation to society uh, in terms of putting everybody to work all the time, or at least to the time that they can work and doing something productive it would seem to me that that would far, far outweigh the other so-called uh, outcomes of capitalism that are driven by the lash. Yeah, I mean, every system, the slavery, the feudalism, the, the tribal economies, insofar as they had a small group of rich people dominating the economic system, the masters who dominated in slavery, the lords who dominated in feudalism, the employers who dominate in capitalism. They have always had to make an argument to the mass of people to give them, hopefully, the idea that they should be grateful for a system that puts so few people in such a wealthy, dominant position. In other words, you have to try to develop a tolerance and hopefully a preference for a situation that is so favorable to a few at the expense of the many. And the way you do that is to say to the many, gee, you're lucky that we're in charge here because otherwise you'd be worse off. So the slave is told, yeah, it's slavery. And yes, we're the masters. And we not only own everything you produce, we own you in the bargain. But boy, are you better off than you would be if there wasn't slavery, because we're feeding you, we're clothing you, and we're giving you culture that you would otherwise have been unable to get on and on and on. And the lords in feudalism did the same thing. And so, of course, the employers uh, hire people like me, uh, not me personally, but economists like me, to come up with these efficiency arguments. Isn't it wonderful? Uh, how efficiently we make those pencils. And in order to make that story stick, you have to carefully avoid what you just said, pointing out that this efficient way of making pencils, which may indeed be efficient, is completely negated by the fact that every four to seven years, 
all the pencil producers are thrown out of work. The wood sits over there and rots. The work isn't performed. It takes months, sometimes years, to get back to where you were. That's a negation of the entire argument. And of course, as with all advertising or all propaganda, these inconvenient features uh, are left out, as is, for example, an equally important argument. If you have a small number of people in charge of the economy becoming very wealthy because they're in charge, whereas the mass of people are not, as in our system, you impose on the system a political cost. The, the very rich, being a small minority, are always afraid that the majority, who aren't rich, will look with envy on the minority that are. And if you have a society with a universal suffrage, where everybody gets a vote, as we do, at least formally, then it's even more scary because the majority who have no great wealth will win the election and may be able then by political means to undo the inequality that the capitalist economy generates. So it's necessary for the private minority that's rich to control politics. And they do that by buying the politician, buying the political party, we live in this country in an example of that that is as naked and stark as you could want. And then you have to ask, what are all the consequences for a society when you have the minority corrupting the politics uh, with money? And the answer is your schooling system is underfunded. Your social welfare system is underfunded. This hobbles the intellectual, skill, technical development of your, your young people. That has enormous negative impacts on efficiency. Once you open this question up and look at it, the efficiency argument disintegrates. Professor Wolf, um, during the last year, during the last year, just because of the crises, again, not caused by COVID, but triggered by COVID, uh, caused by capitalism, the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve have enacted several relief packages. One is uh, quantitative easing has continued. Then there was the Federal Reserve-sponsored loan guarantees, also a part of a quantitative easing. And then the relief package themselves that were enacted by Congress. Uh, in total, the number might be somewhere in, in the number of $5.5 trillion pumped into the capitalist economy by the government. And as a consequence, even though there are millions who are still unemployed, and again, a million applied for unemployment benefits the week before the inauguration, 950,000 more applied the week of the inauguration, uh, the fact of the matter is... Uh, a lot of sectors or some sectors or some people have been bailed out. Now we have Congress uh, debating, wringing its hands about the, the promise that Joe Biden made during the election, and especially after the election and during the, the election in Georgia where the two Democrats won, that he was for sending $2,000 to every family, another $2,000 check. He then whittled that back to 1400 
But now uh, there's great alarm in Congress that that's too much. That's too much money. Uh, that's going to somehow be like the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, anyway, there's this enormous intervention by the government that has stabilized capitalism. I, I would say that without the government intervention, without the state, without the state intervention, the capitalist economy, as we know it, would have be completely wiped away. Um, this was essential to the stabilization to the extent that it has stabilized. Here's another story, though, and this comes from Financial Times. Fed, meaning Federal Reserve, backstop masks rising risks in America's corporate debt market. Now, this may seem kind of arcane, but that's why I want you to explain it to our audience. Record 2.5 trillion, trillion, not billions, not millions, trillions, borrowing binge has caused debts to balloon faster than profits can keep up. Here's, here's from Financial Times. Investors and analysts surveying the damage wrought by the pandemic have warned that it, is, it has exacerbated some of the most worrying trends in corporate debt markets and left balance sheets in a far riskier state. U.S. companies have borrowed a record $2.5 trillion in the bond market in 2020. The borrowing binge has driven leverage, that is a ratio that measures debt compared with earnings, to an all-time peak for higher-rated investment-grade companies having already surpassed historic records at the end of 2019, according to data from Bank of America. And finally, at the same time, companies' ability to pay for the increase in debt has declined with the number of so-called zombie companies whose interest payments have been higher than profits for three years running, rising close to the historic peak, according to the Luthold Group. Uh, how important is this? And also just help us or help the audience understand what this actually means. Well, two things. First, to underscore the first thing you said, this is a capitalist system on life support from the government. This is the definitive mockery of libertarians, the idea that capitalism doesn't need the government, doesn't want the government, is hobbled by the government. This is a capitalism that has collapsed. It could not handle the COVID. It could not handle its crash. And it turned to the government to bail it out. Every major bank, every major corporation has been borrowing money or getting it some other way from the Federal Reserve, which has been pumping out money to these corporations, uh, as you read, uh, on a scale we've never seen before. So the notion of the private sector being the dominant, uh, that's all a joke and not a good one either. Now let's turn to what the government did. It created a ton of money and it brought interest rates down to next to nothing. What does this mean? It means that every corporation in America, large ones, medium ones, small ones, whatever the problem is that they've had, say, during the year 2020, over the last 12 months, whether they're producing a commodity that nobody wants to buy, or they chose a technology that doesn't work, or they're having conflicts with their employees, whatever the problem any corporation had, the quickest easiest, 
cheapest solution was go to the Federal Reserve, borrow money at virtually barely above zero interest rates. It's a delivery of free money to the corporate sector. There's no mystery why their debts are higher than ever before, because you literally faced a situation in which capitalism was so close to collapse at early in 2020, February and March, that the Federal Reserve felt it had no choice, rather like it felt back in the autumn of 2008 with the subprime mortgage crisis. So in comes the Federal Reserve, roaring to the rescue, pumping money out like never before, and charging virtually no interest rate for the money. Uh, and of course, it produces this debt. Now notice the solution to one problem, a capitalism on the verge of, of collapse, leads to another problem. When you're in that situation, that's when you know the economy is in deep trouble when the solution to a problem immediately produces another problem as bad or worse than that. Uh, and that's what we got. We have levels of debt that corporations cannot pay because that's the price of having bailed out the economy with all that lend loaned money uh, last year. And, and, and it's a sign, really, a sign of a society in, in ever deeper difficulty. They will not be able to repay those loans. What happens then is anyone's guess, just like what happens if you uh, subject the people who haven't paid rent over the last six months to eviction uh, at the end of March, which is now the, the date that the Biden administration uh, has put forward. No one knows the answer to these questions, but this, this experience of cascading economic difficulties in which the solution to one creates another one as bad or worse, that's when you know a system has come to its end. It can't handle. It's a little bit like the human body when we get very old. It doesn't really matter anymore which particular illness or failed organ bothers us because the solution to any of this is yet another problem. And the system, you know, the, our bodies at a certain point give out. And economic systems uh, have the same kind of experience. They're born, they have an upswing, they develop, they evolve. But the last chapter is when they decline. And the United States, I know this is difficult for people to get their heads around, but we are now in a declining phase. And our best chance to manage it in a humane way begins by facing it and not denying it by big bravados of America first, that's the Trump approach, or now returning to normal, which is another kind of denial. The normal is gone. The America first is gone. We've got to come to terms with a reduced position in the world. Otherwise, there will be the temptation, terribly dangerous, to imagine that the one area where the United States still is dominant, which is military, offers a solution. And I don't want to even go there in my comments because you all understand what that risk really is. That was Professor Richard Wolf. 
Professor Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The System is the Sickness, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program we appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show again that's at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program you've been listening to the socialist program with brian becker where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Brian Becker.